I'm going to uh, um, preach. I'm going to be evangelistic tonight. Uh, I'd say more so than normal. Uh, but I, I just I feel I have felt something in the spirit ever since I got here to, tonight, and uh, I'm not sure exactly what I feel. I'm going to just be um, I'm going to be open to the leading of the Holy Ghost and what God is trying to do and what God wants to say to us. And um, I'm going to title this a little strange. Uh, it's, you know, my titles are a little strange, but this is a little stranger than normal. But I'm going to talk about exiting Satan's circus. Okay, we're going to exit Satan's circus. And uh, I think that, uh, I, I think all of us, of course, need this, but I, I am definitely talking to some people in here that uh, have had some major problems. And you, you're here at church this evening looking for answers, but you're not really telling a whole lot of people your problem. Uh, but let me assure you of one thing. God knows exactly what you're dealing with. He's very familiar with your problem, and he has seen this, this kind of problem many times. And he has delivered people out of this many times. The thing is, you have been in this so long that you know you shouldn't be, but you just don't have a clue what it would be like not to have it. But God's going to show you what it feels like to be light tonight away from that particular problem. And in the process, if you want him to, he will completely remove this thing from you. It will leave you this evening. I, I, my, my grandpa said this before. My grandpa used to. I've, I've cast out devils. I've seen them actually leave. My grandfather used to cast out spirits. And he said that when he did, it would be like a gray smoke that came out the top of their head. That's what he saw, visually saw this. And uh, I, I just, I, that's what I kind of feel this evening. I feel like somebody's got this gray mist of a spirit that has been hanging on you and hanging on you. You think that's just a part of your life, but it's not a part of your life. And I'm going to fight this thing this evening until we get free. We're going to fight this until we get free. You know, we call the enemy of our, enemy of our soul Satan. That's, that's what we call him. But he has many names and he has many descriptions. In the Bible, he's called Lucifer, the anointed cherub, the devil, accuser, serpent, dragon, destroyer, adversary, Beelzebub, and that's just to name a few of them. And each of these titles point to some quality of the enemy. They point to a quality of Satan himself. Satan was once an angelic being that worshipped before God's throne. He was in charge of all the music. He was influential in leading a revolt against God. And Satan was expelled from heaven, taking some believe, and the Bible, I believe, teaches one-third of the angelic host with him, according to Isaiah 14 and 13. Jesus said that Satan was a murderer from the beginning. And he is a consummate liar, according to John 8:44. In other words, if you're listening to him, the only thing he can tell you is a lie. It is not possible for him to tell the truth. Whatever truth he might tell, he'll mix it with a lie, which will defile the whole thing. Now, are you hearing me? He's a murderer. He's a liar. He's a thief. Satan was the ultimate con artist. Okay? He's a god of this world. Satan is the animating force behind much of the violence and the evil and the misery in and on our planet. He is that person. 
His intent is to steal, kill, and destroy in John 10. He is not interested in you. He's not interested in your marriage. He's not interested in your family, your job, or your health. He has no interest in your present or your future. He majors in your past. He majors in your past. He delves in your garbage and he talks trash. That's all he does. Come on, are you with me? I feel one of those mean spirits on me right now. I feel like bringing up the Holy Ghost and casting out every unclean spirit that would ever bother anybody in this sanctuary. If you've got a devil bothering you in the name of Jesus, you will be set free this evening. Praise God. Praise God. Now, I'm not here to satisfy any of your curiosity about dark things. I can talk about dark things. But I'm not here tonight to talk about dark, dark things. Bible says that we should keep all this simple when it comes to uh, evil. Just keep it simple. I'm not here to make a political statement, thank God. I'm not going to talk about the big metropolitan area of Spencer this evening. I'm not here to clean up the streets, although there are some that probably need to be cleaned. I'm not here to put somebody down. Every one of us have been down at one time or the other. In fact, everybody in this place has made mistakes. You're looking up here on this sanctuary and you think this bunch is a bunch, good bunch. I know every one of them. We've all made mistakes. Everybody's made mistakes. I think that there's someone struggling with some issues. I've already made that statement. I think you're struggling with some addictions. Some habits have enslaved you. Are you tired of being a slave? Are you tired of being a slave? Are you tired of constantly going back to that same addiction over and over and over again? Oh, you know what it feels like. In good moments, it stays at bay. Everything's great. In trouble, it reappears. Huh? By day, we fight, and by night, we flee. P.T. Barnum, legendary showman and carnival huckster, that's what he was, once put a huge sign in his carnival, and it said this, This way to egress. Masses of people thinking they were going to see some kind of strange sight, they pushed their way through the doors only to find themselves outside the show. Too late, they realized that the word egress meant exit. So they had to pay a quarter to get back in. That's exactly what he wanted them to do. So be sure there's exit signs, but I don't want you to go out. The only thing I want to go out is that which is bothering you. Okay? And just so that we're clear on the subject, we're going to have the ushers prop both doors open so we can be sure any demons that are in here that is bothering you, any habits, any addictions, any difficulties, you prop them open. Do you see that? You say, well, they can get through that. That's just so you know I'm serious. I'm not just saying to, I'm not up here to ooh and awe you if that's what you want, you at the wrong place. I'm up here to get business done. We're here to get something done. We're here to see something happen. We're here to see demons cast out. We're here to see people set free. We're here to get, oh, we're going to get above our troubles tonight. Come on, folks. We've got the right kind of spirit in McCormick Street Church. Nothing is going to be impossible with this church the way God is moving in our behalf right now. Praise God. <laughs> you know, nobody likes to be outwitted. Nobody likes to be conned. Absolutely nobody. 
But that's what happens in Satan's circus. It's exactly what happens. The Apostle Paul knew well. Uh, I'm sorry, did I even get my scripture read? I don't think I did, did I? Well, let me go back up here and find it. Oh, there we go. 2 Corinthians 2.11. This is a new King James Version. Uh, be a little bit different in the old King James. He said, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we're not unaware of his schemes. Okay? We're not unaware of his schemes. We know what he's doing. Now, the Apostle Paul knew well the city of Corinth. Now, whatever, uh, whatever uh, Manhattan... If you if you look at Manhattan uh, had an order and and let me let, let me let me I'm gonna come back to that but whatever Manhattan in the middle of Manhattan and I'm, let me give you to that story I I, I kind of got ahead of myself uh, in Manhattan this has been back in the 19th century there was uh, an area that was named by a man by the name of Talmadge now Talmadge was a he was one of those uh, great preachers in fact he. He pastored a church in, on Madison Square that was uh, 5,000 people in the 19th century. And uh, he went, and his, some of the elders in his church would go to this particular area in midtown Manhattan. And uh, this is where Broadway intersected 6th Avenue. And in fact, right above this particular area, there was an elevated uh, railway. And below this, this was a, a place of what you would call Carnival Vice. It was dingy by day, and it was depraved by night. Uh, the flickering gas lights reveal all kinds of dives, low-downs halls, garish saloons. But the low light shows something else. And, and, and if you begin to, to understand and look at this, you can see this man uh, would be walking in this area. Now, now this, and this, this, uh, this pastor and his elders would be walking in this area, and they weren't there to, to judge, they weren't there to drink, but they were there to report. They would go through the nastiest areas of Manhattan. And this man, again, his name was Talmadge, T. D. Witt Talmadge. And they call him the Prince of the American Pulpit. Now, for several weekends, he led elders down into this area, and they would look, and on that Sunday, Talmadge would come back, and he would preach on whatever he saw. He would preach on whatever vice, whatever nasty thing uh, that, you know, you, you could see. Now, you've you got to look at some of this area. It was terrible. There were some nasty things that was going on. And he'd come back, but he got so, he was so controversial in his preaching that he actually got called up before a religious board as a result of this, and they tried to uh, censor him. But he would not allow himself to be censored. Now, we can look at this and we can say, well, that was a noble thing for him to do. Well, to some degree, maybe it was. But let's look at this the way Jesus looks at it. Okay, and, that's, and that's, let's go back now to where I was talking to you about the city of Corinth. Now, whatever Manhattan had in measured amounts, Corinth had in abundance. In fact, in the ancient world, to Corinthianize meant to abandon oneself to vice. That's what it meant. Now, the city's religions encouraged the vice. The Temple of Venus located there played host to 1,000 priestesses who would uh, kind of make quite a splash today in some of the nasty, licentious clubs that we've got. Now, can you imagine with me? Now, this is the kind of place that Corinth was. But can you imagine with me as a parent? Can you imagine raising your children in a place like this? This was this bad. 
You would want to run away, get your family as far from Corinth as you possibly could. Yet in the very heart of that city, there was a church that stood as a radiant jewel. Christians in Corinth were more powerful than the forces of evil that were there. Are you with me? You see, that's the whole point. It's not a matter of going out there and pointing this is evil and that's evil and that's evil. It's a matter of having a church right in the middle of it that people are drawn to because they know that this is a place they can get away from that evil. I don't think any of us are so naive to know that when we're doing something wrong, we don't know it. The thing is, we just need help dealing with it. You don't need me to stand up here and point out how bad this is or that is. What you need is an answer. What you need is a way out. What you need is a way to get over what you're dealing with. And I'm telling you tonight, that's what the Corinthian church was. The people in that church were powerful enough that nobody could come in there and overpower them. Because they had the God of all glory and of all heaven that was amidst of their church in the midst of their... To these people, Paul said, we refuse to let Satan outwit us. That's what he told them. We're not unaware of his schemes. We know exactly what he's doing. And we will continue to know what he's doing. And we'll continue to have victory. Now, Paul presents Satan as a schemer. He's the hustler. He's the carnival barker. He attempts to outwit us. Once outwitted, he robs what is most precious from us. Now, let's, let's just, I want you to go with me tonight. Let's, let's take a trip. Let's go to Satan's circus with me. Now, the first thing you notice at Satan's circus is the carnival. Some of you people love carnivals, don't you? It's interesting. We call it carnival still where it comes from carnal. Huh? <laughs> You may or may not have been to a carnival, but Satan's carnival is, is like and unlike anything that you've ever seen. I promise you that. First, in, in, Satan's, in Satan's carnival, there is the Hall of Mirrors. Okay? Now, these are unlike any carnival mirror that you've ever been. And, and in fact, you know, a carnival where people, they can look into the mirrors and they can see themselves tall, skinny, or short and fluffy. Satan's Hall of Mirrors form the ultimate deception. When you peer into them, you see the person he wants you to be. He lets you see an illusion of a better you and a better life. <clears throat> Bargains are struck here. If you give me this, I'll make you look like this. Come on now. Now, he can, he can, you know, he, he's able to do that. He's the God of this world. The Bible tells us this. He can make you what you want to be if you give him what he wants. In Satan's fantasy, temporal world, he creates illusions of the better life, the better marriage, the better home, and a better opportunity. He even tried to tempt Jesus in this way. He said, I'll give you this if you will do this. Same way. Same thing. It's no trick for Satan. He's a master of illusions. He transforms himself, the Bible says, into an angel of light. He can make you think that he's something special. He's that guy that comes to your house and all of a sudden is interested in you, young lady. 
He's the young lady that comes to you, young man. It says, honey, you're just so good looking, I can't help myself. And you know because you've seen yourself in your mirror. (laughs) We're admonished to not look into Satan's distorted mirrors. You know, that's what we're not to do. We are commanded to look into the Lord's mirrors, to envision the freedom that only He can bring, according to James 1.25. You know, we have got to look into it and see ourselves as we really are. That's what James was saying. i got to look at myself and see my needs, because if I can see my needs, then I can find the one that meets my needs. I can look to the one and realize I can't do this on my own. I don't have power in myself. I'm not able to deliver me, but I know one that can deliver you. I know one that will deliver you. I know one that has delivered a lot of people in this church tonight. I know one that will continue to do so. And he's the one that you can look at and know that he will tell you the truth. Now, standing outside, excuse me, the big top, there are all kinds of other attractions. In fact, one of the next ones is the freak show. Now, P.T. Barnum, legendary showman, once paid a woman the unheard of sum of $1,000 to be in his freak show. The woman claimed to be 161 years old, and she was a nurse of George Washington. Barnum displayed what he said was the embalmed remains of a mermaid that he purchased in Calcutta. This was one of over 500,000 natural and artificial curiosities that he had. Now, like the people, uh, let, me, let me back up. Let me back up. Freaks. We're talking about freaks, weren't we? Satan likes to showcase people who are way overboard into darkness and perversion. There's your freaks. And you know what he'll do with the freaks is he'll make them look good. And you'll begin to look at them and their perversions and so forth, and you'll say, hey, I can't be so bad. Look at them. Look at this guy. He outgrew his hair. Every time. Now, you know, I just love you standing up here because it just makes me feel so good. You know, you know I, I, as I said, you know, you go to the freak show, you've got to feel good about yourself. Isn't that correct? You know, look how bad that person is over there. I'm not so bad. Look at him. You know, people look at enough freaks and they get comforted in their own sins. But you know, the thing is, is they remain the same. They never change. They never change. Do you think that's what God wants to do? Does God want us to be destroyed? Does God want us to destroy ourselves? Does He want us to go to hell? No, He doesn't. He doesn't want anybody to be lost. He has given you the opportunity to be saved. That's what grace is all about. And you see, we can look around and we can look at what we call the freaks of people that are so deep in perversion and nasty and we can make ourselves feel good. But let me tell you something, darling. You're just as lost as they are. Just as lost as they are. Like the people of Gadara, they could applaud themselves that they weren't as bad as the freak that was living in the graveyard. But when Jesus came to the shores, the freak found forgiveness and the respectable people begged Jesus to leave. Huh? 
Watch out. Watch out being too hard on the freak. Maybe the freak is on the front pew next time you're in church. Mm. <clears throat> we tend to feel better about ourselves after visiting Satan's freak show. Satan trots out misfits, people who no longer appear human in their appetites and appearances. We sit in the seat of the scornful. We gather around looking at the dust-covered woman caught in adultery and smugly say, Ha, I'm not that bad off. Then the next one. False prophets galore. Next sideshow. Let me tell you about the false prophets galore. They're full of fair words. They'll tell you everything you want to hear. They focus on the now and not the then. They focus on here and not there. They tickle your ears, but they can't satisfy that gnawing hunger within. How many times have you listened to one of them? How many times have you gone out and listened to one of them? Maybe it's on the television, maybe on the radio, maybe at the, the next building down. And they heard somebody and they told, said all the things that made you feel good for right then, but somehow when you left, you didn't feel fulfilled. Well, let me tell you about the Holy Ghost. Let me take just a moment to tell you about the Holy Ghost. How's that? You see, when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I don't give it to you. Jesus Christ gives it to you. When you come down and repent of your sins and you're baptized in Jesus' name, He fills you with that wonderful Spirit of God. Now, are you hearing me? And when you leave, you, you leave completely fulfilled. You leave completely full. You know that God has done something in your life. You know you've been to church. Throughout man's history, Satan's crystal ball gazers have lured people away from truth and safety with half-truth and half-lies shown like breadcrumbs from the hands of Hansel and Gretel. Satan lures people away from what they know to be right. He tries to do it through these false prophets. This is his carnival. This is his circus. You know, thank God for the king who once said, I don't believe a word of it. You ever, you ever really get into that? I've I seen some, some kids that was... Uh, well, I think it was uh, it was our Daniel that was being Ahab, and we had Jehoshaphat. Ahab had lined up 400 of his fortune tellers, and Jehoshaphat said, "Yes, they've told us exactly what we want to hear, but will you get me somebody that will tell me the truth?" That says something about Ahab, doesn't it? He didn't even or about Jehoshaphat rather. I mean, he knew that they were lying. What in the world was he doing messing around with Ahab? You hear me? Give me somebody that will tell me the truth. Don't give me somebody that's going to tickle my ear. Don't give me somebody that's going to tell me what I want to hear. Give me somebody that's going to get me to heaven. Give me somebody that's going to get me free, that's going to get these chains off of me, that's going to get me away from all this enslavement that I'm going through right now. Give me somebody to tell me the truth. Liberty's vehicle is truth, not lies. And we could keep walking through the carnival. We could keep doing that. We could eat the food that doesn't fill us up. We could drink what cannot satisfy. We could get on the roller coaster and go up and down. We could jump on Satan's Ferris wheel and go round and round. We could stay a little while and you're fooled. Stay a little longer and you're trapped. Check out any time you like, but you just can't leave. Welcome to the Hotel California. Some of you probably don't remember that, but that was a true cult. Hotel California was a real thing. Anton LaVey was on that album cover. I remember seeing it. 
and they were true devil worshipers, wrote the Satanic Bible. And they would love to get you into it. You know, you can, you can, you can do whatever you want, but you, can, you can't leave. Check out any time you like, but you cannot leave. And that's exactly what Satan would like for you to do. Check out all you want, but I'm not going to let go of you. But you see, when you begin to see what's got a hold of him, when you begin to see what and who can let you go, you begin to understand that there's a power greater than Satan's power. Then no matter what he does, he cannot trap you any longer. He cannot hold you anymore. You can check out once and for all, and Satan has got to be the one that leaves. Yeah. Rising above the carnival and the great big tent, we see Satan's three-ring circus. Let's go in there for just a little while. Let's see what's there. Within the big top is the main event. When Satan's circus began, it had only a single ring, only one thing, the center ring. Now, Satan's work with man added two other rings, and we're going to visit there first. The first ring we encounter is the lust of the flesh. Appetites and desires are on display everywhere. Twin fires that can be fed and fed but always want more. Extinguish them, though people try and they break out again no matter what they do. James describes the lust of the flesh this way. He said in James 1.14, But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Satan makes sure there's enough material to ignite and perpetuate fleshly desires. We are bombarded daily with messages that are contrary to the Spirit. What affects one may not affect another to the same degree, but the music and the images and the message affects most people. Otherwise, Satan would have stopped a long time ago. You see, he's only going to do what works. He's only going to affect you. He'll stop if it's not affecting you any longer. The first ring is the lust of the flesh, but the furthest ring... Is the lust of the eyes. Eyes are the window to the soul. The enemy affects us by what we focus upon. The psalmist said, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes in Psalm 101.3. Satan allures us with visions of the latest and the greatest. We can have this. We can look like this. We can wear that. We can drive this. We can live here. Come on. Hear me. I got into this, and I've seen this before, but I've never seen it quite like this. God told Ezekiel, Ezekiel 8, verses 8 through 13. He said, Son of man, dig. And he began to dig into the walls of the temple. And actually what he was doing was he was digging into the temple of men's hearts. And he said, see what you find. Ezekiel stumbled upon what he called the chamber of imagery. Within the heart and the mind of each man, there's the chamber of imagery. On the outside, things look fine, but within were all manner of abominable things. Read it. External appearances can be deceiving, especially when a person's imaginations project a different vision. When Satan shows us something that reflects our inward desires, it becomes a volatile mixture. When Satan's presentation connects with man's imagination, we are in danger of becoming enslaved. Follow me. I want you to think of it this way. When man's faith and God's grace connect, there's a great change in our lives. In a similar sense, if man is reaching for what the enemy is revealing, then there's a change in the opposite direction. We're not seated in heavenly places any longer. We begin to fall. 
And you, there are some people in here that have fallen. You've fallen hard. You've been trying to get up. You have done your best to get up, but you plummeted hard. And what happened was that imagination, that which was in your heart, it was beginning to project. Satan was showing you what you wanted to see, not what God wanted you to see. Grace would have pulled you out, but instead your imagination got the best of you. He showed you an image and you went for it. Why do you think people leave churches because somebody has hurt their feelings? The person may not have done a thing, may not have said a thing, but Satan can project that image. And you are upset at something and you see it because you want to see it. You have problems in your families because somebody has told you that someone else said something. And that's the thing that you thought in your mind already. It wasn't given to you by God. It was given to you by Satan himself. And as a result of this, you allowed yourself to be pulled into it. And you got angry. And you're still angry at someone in your family. That's what he told him. He said, dig. You'll see what's in there. When Satan shows us something, this is what happens. Now, we can't control what happens in Satan's circus. We must ask God to take hold of the reins of our own hearts. And finally, we approach the center ring. This is the main thing. This is the place we're looking for. Before a man's appearance in the garden, this was the only ring in Satan's circus. Here the roof is as tall as the heavens, for here is the very ring that Satan fell. The center ring is the pride of life. Satan knows that humans desire preferential treatment. Each wants to feel that somehow he or she is cut above, separate and apart from the pack, special, pampered, and unique. But Satan's way of meeting that desire is skewed. He, he lifts you up. You become part of the act. He raises you to high levels, success, fame, popularity, and prestige. You see, everybody's got it. It's when you get elevated that you've got problems. When you get up there, then he's got you. What he does is when he gets you up there, he lets go. And you fall just like he fell. And guess who's laughing? He's laughing. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall in Luke 10, 18. He saw him do this very thing. And in this center ring, there's a high wire act. Thousands, millions, and billions are perched precariously on thin wires. Higher and higher. No net below, only the sky above. One definition of sin. There's two, there's actually several, but one of them is to miss the mark, another one is to slip. That's one of the definitions. Can you imagine walking on the high wire? I remember back in my days as a trapeze artist. You know, no net below, prestige and pride, man. Prestige and pride. Satan's got me up here. He said, I can do anything. I can dance. I can jump. I can hop. I can, you know. You want me to get up here and walk? My wife says, no, please don't. You know, all, all the time Satan's telling me, there's nothing you can't do. Now, come on, folks. We believe that when it comes to God. God tells us that. But you have to watch what it is you're doing. Let me tell you what there is that you, there's no limit to what you can do when it comes to the kingdom of God. You want to go out and win 10 million souls, it's very possible for you to do that. You want to pray until God gives you every gift that's in the Bible, He can do that. And He wants to do that. But when it comes to going out and hurting someone, 
It comes to elevating yourself and making $10 billion and being out there and drinking and doing whatever you want. He's not going to help you with that. If you get help in that area, then you have got the wrong person helping you. And that's what Satan does. He puts you up on that high wire. And then you slip. And you never forget that we were all born sinners. This means we slip and we fall. The great thing about all this is if Satan has taken you that high and you have fallen down, that Jesus is here to help you up. Come on. Let's take this just a little bit further. I want to show you the exit from Satan's circus. And there is an exit. But it's not marked egress. There's no sign above it. It lies in the shadows, beyond the sparkle and the glamour. Your exit is a person, one who calls himself the door, according to John 10, 9. One who calls himself the way, the truth, and the life, in John 14 and 6. He knows each and every square inch of Satan's circus. He knows every ploy, every trick, and every scheme. He weeps beside the hall of mirrors. He asks, why look that when you, you can be like me? Why look like that when you can be like me? You think about what I'm saying. How many times do we want to be something that we're not? And he's standing there beside us as we look at the thing we want to be when he says, why would you want to be that when you could be like me? You think about what I'm saying. Let me tell you what else he does. He stands over the freaks and he pushes away the crowd saying, leave them alone. I love them all. Are you a freak tonight? Do you feel like a freak? I've got one that loves the freaks. Believe me, I know that. He stands over the fortune tellers and he says, come to me, I'll show you an abundant life you cannot imagine. He watches those trying to anesthetize their suffering and pain. He offers them himself a fountain from which they drink and they'll never thirst again. He's not there to preach a sermon about you. He was tempted in all points as you and I are in Hebrews 4.15. He has been there. Jesus Christ knows everything that you have endured. Everything that you have endured, He tasted that on the cross. He knows what it's like to try to get free. He understands what you feel like. Listen, He understands what the homosexual feels like. That doesn't mean that He was one. He just knows what they felt like. He understands what a person who's been in addiction all their life, He knows what they feel like because He took that sin on the cross. He's been there. He understands that. Don't you ever doubt what my Savior can do. Don't you ever say, Oh, I can never be one of those Pentecostals because we Pentecostals are trying to be like Jesus. Unlike us, he didn't fail. And unlike us, his victory does not breed an attitude of smug superiority. He's moved by our struggles and he touched with the feelings of our infirmities. I want you to watch him as he steps from the shadows. Watch him make his way to the big top. Watch him. The atmosphere begins to change. Satan sees him immediately. Immediately. And like any huckster that's worth his salt, when he spies one who cannot be fooled, he does his best to distract the crowd. Are you hearing me? That's what any good huckster does. You know? I'm doing the old three-shell shell game right here. 
Watch my hands here. I'm moving this shell around. you got somebody that's smarter than you. Then if you're a good huckster, you try to get someone else over here, and you try to distract that person and get somebody in the crowd to get this dude out of the way. That's what Satan has done every time that you've come to church. you got some sweet little baby in front of you. Fills its diaper, and you have to smell that until the mother takes it out. Or you got one looking at you with a big smile on its face, and Satan grabs it with a pitchfork right in the hind end. And wah! Right at the time of altar call. You know? Or you got some half-baked saint that's criticizing the preacher because he preaches too long. I've got another ten minutes, by the way. You know, you got something because he tries to distract you. That's what he does so well. You know, sometimes, get this, sometimes when things seem to be getting their worst, it means that Jesus has showed up on the scene. Are you there? You see, that means that he's on the scene. For that is when Satan tries to give his best show. So when your life starts falling apart, that means Jesus is trying to move in. He's there. Your prayer's about to be answered, and Satan's doing his best show right now. Are you there? Huh? Oh, yeah, it's happened. Some of you have been praying. How many times has he given you a good show? And there have been things that occurred to try to stop you from being a prayer meeting? Hasn't there been things that have happened to you to stop you from being to service? I'm sure there have been because he's giving his best show. There's a lot of people here in this congregation that are praying and desiring a move of God. And God is moving. And guess what he's trying? Oh, Satan is showing out. Don't, 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 don't pay attention to them. Let me show you something over here. Yeah. Jesus walks to the center of the ring, featuring the lust of the flesh. He looks at those trying to feed their desires with the husk of Satan. And he says this. He says, it's better at my father's house. Just that simple. Better at my father's house. He walks to the center of the ring, featuring the lust of the eye. And the one who knew that the, the never-tarnished splendor of heaven looks at the fool's gold offered, he says, I'm all you need. I'm the pearl of great price. Find me and find a treasure. Drop the fool's gold, people, and lay hold on eternal life. That's what he's trying to say tonight. Everything else that you have is fool's gold. It's not real. But I am the, I, I'm the pearl of great price. So this is what he's saying. He steps into Satan's dominion, the center ring of the pride of, of life, and he looks at the people who are wired for success but who have been dropped repeatedly like a marionette on a string. He sees the bruises, the hurt, and the confusion. He looks down, but not for long. He's the lifter up of our heads. Oh, come on. He's the one that when you're down here, you fell off that high wire so many times, he reaches down and lifts up your head, and he says, i got something better for you. The one who created man stoops. And he stoops. He stoops in Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus Christ, the Father can stoop down. Okay? He looks into the eyes of the hurting and he says, I'm not here to hurt you. Let me help you. I'm not one that's going to put you up on the highway and let you fall. 
I'm not going to do that to you. Let me help you. Let me, let me clean you up. Let me, let me pick you up. Let me, let me get you out of this place. Aren't you tired of being in that place? Come on, aren't you tired of it? Satan steps forward to claim his own. In, in my imagination, I see Jesus, and he's shaking some keys at him, and he says, no longer your property, Satan. They belong to me. They belong to me. I paid the price in my own blood. They're mine now. You can't have them anymore. They're not going to get on your high wire of pride any longer. Out of no way, this one makes a way. And he leads an exodus from Satan's circus for all who will follow. He never seems discouraged that the masses stay behind and relatively the relative minority follows. He keeps going back. That's what he does. It may be just a few that he takes out of Satan's circus, but guess what he does? He goes back again, and he goes back again, and he goes back again. He, he came back one time for me, and he brought me out. He brought me out. I'm sure that some of you, he'd been, he came back for you. I came out, but he went back for you. And then he went back for someone else that's sitting in here. And guess what? He's back again, and he's got something for you that are visiting this church tonight. Those, excuse me, still trapped are of their father, the devil. Those who exit become a child of God. One of my... Favorite stories. It's a true story that happened to a preacher that was his name was Fred Craddock. While he and his wife were sharing a meal in a vacation spot in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, a gentleman approached their table and he asked, Are you folks on vacation? The preacher said that they were, and they made small talk a while until Fred revealed that he was a preacher. The stranger pulled up a chair and he said, he said, I, I, I need to tell you a story. He said, I owe a great deal to a preacher as the music starts playing. The man told his story. He said, I grew up in these mountains. He said, my mother was not married and the whole community knew it. He said, when I was born, I didn't have a father. Some people called me bad names. He said, in my teens, he said, I started going to this little church near our home. He said, that preacher frightened me. He had a deep voice. He said, and, and I went to hear him preach, and he said, I don't know why, but it just did something for me. He said, I, I would go in to hear the sermon. He said, then, I, then I'd race out before anyone could ask me, what's a boy like you doing in a place like this? He said, one Sunday said, there were too many people in front of me, and I was trapped. He said, suddenly I felt a hand on my shoulder, and I looked up. Into the face of the preacher. And he said, I began to tremble in fear. He said, he looked at me in the eye, and he said, boy, he said, you're a child of... And he said, I knew what was coming. He said, I was going to hurt, be hurt again. He said, but I was surprised. He said, boy, you're a child of God. He said, I see a striking resemblance. He slapped me on the back and he said, now go claim your inheritance. He said, that was the beginning of my new life. He said, I found out who I was. He said, the man got up and made his farewells and he left. And Fred Craddock asked the waiter who the stranger was. And the waiter replied to him. He said, oh, he said, everybody knows him. That's Ben Hooper, former governor of Tennessee. 
Let me ask you this as you stand with me. Can I set someone free today? Can I? Can I tell you what God wants you to hear? I don't want you to cover your ears and I don't want you to run from it. And I know it's hard. It's sort of like those elephants that do the entertaining in circuses. Years ago, the elephants were needed for the heavy lifting at the big tops. Young elephants would be tethered by a chain to a heavy stake. And they grew so accustomed to being tethered that even when they were free, they behaved as if they were still chained. They didn't even know that they weren't chained any longer. They were disused to being enslaved. And maybe you're here this evening, and you're just so familiar with being chained that you don't know what you would do if you weren't chained. The Bible says that whom the Son is set free is free indeed. Aren't you glad that you can have that opportunity? You're here tonight because you have got the golden opportunity. You have been tethered by addictions. You have been held captive by people that have given you a hard way to go, that have made fun of you, that have laughed at you and told you you would never amount to anything. You've got family members that have told you that. I am here and I'm talking to somebody straight and I don't know who you are. I really don't. I don't want to know who you are. There's times I do. I don't right now. But if we could bow our heads right now together and I'm going to open this altar for you. God wants to set you free. Would you come? Would you come this evening? I want to help you. I, I want to help you. By the name of Jesus and by His Spirit, I promise you that you can be free. But you have to rise up and claim your inheritance. You have to claim it. You've got to get out of Satan's circus and enter, enter into a life that Jesus died to give you. That's what he wants to do this evening. This altar is open for you. Would you come? Would you come? Would you come? Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Jesus wants to do something great for you this evening. You can come out of here a child of God, but you have got to claim what God has for you. Every one of us, every man, woman, and child in this world is a child of God. They just haven't claimed their inheritance yet. This is the place to claim that. This is the place to get what God has for you and walk out of here feeling differently, feeling free, feeling a true liberty in your spirit like you've never felt before. You won't care what people say. You won't care if people criticize you any longer. You won't care because God has given you something that nobody can take from you. He's given you a hope that will take you beyond this life into something that is new, something that is great. Would you come? Would you come? Would you come? Would you come? There are some people praying here. I'm going to ask the congregation, some of our altar workers, to please come down. Pray with some of these that are here. Lord, bless you. This altar will remain open. And there's room at these front pews or on the sides or the ends here. There is room here for you if you want to come. Lord, bless you this evening.